At this time, I'd like to invite up Nate Sims, who's no stranger to our church. Um, Nate is, um, I don't know if Nate knows this, but Nate is going to actually do the reading as well out of Luke uh, chapter 2, 36 and 38. And uh, welcome, Nate, and uh, the Spirit be with you as you preach to us today. Thanks, brother. All right, well, I will read scripture. All right. Good morning. Merry Christmas, or happy holidays, whichever you prefer. I'm just kidding, kidding, joking. Merry Christmas, and as a gift to you, I did shave my mustache, okay? It was, you know, it's just the biggest gift. My, my parents are like, thank God you did that, but I had the bearded Nate Sims, the clean shaven, they had the, you know, the mustache guy, you never know what you're going to get, but uh, let's read the text this morning, Luke chapter 2, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived her, with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left serving night and day with fastings and prayer. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all of those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray real quick. God, I just pray that you speak through me this morning. I just pray that your word surrounds us in our hearts, Lord, and, and give us comfort this, this Christmas as you have sent yourself, you have sent your son to us to be the light in the dark world. But we love you and thank you for all that you do. In your name, amen. All right, so yeah, he said I'm not a stranger. Hopefully I'm not too much of a stranger. And as I've been preaching over the past few months occasionally, I've made it pretty well known that I love football. I'm a football guy, okay? So in high school, I played football. You know, I met my, my middle school sweetheart, you know, Virginia. We, we ended up getting married right after high school. But I love playing football, right? And so um, it was just a great time of my life. My mom never wanted me to play. She thought I was going to get hurt. And uh, I just kept begging like this annoying like puppy that just kept like whining. And she was finally like, okay, fine, you can play football. And so that's when I transferred over to Quakertown, started playing it, fell in love with the sport. I love watching it, breathing, it's great. So after I graduated, what we would do is as alumni, we would just come back just to watch, watch the games. You would go back to high school and you would just, you know, go cheer them on and, and stuff like that. And so I remember we were running late to go to an away game. And so we're scrambling to get our clothes on, whatever. My wife, you know, my wife actually beats me to the car. Uh, that never happens. But um, I'm running behind. And so I'm like, okay, I can't wait to get to the car. I can't wait to get to the game. And as I'm stepping out the door, my stomach says, wait a minute, Nate. You're really hungry. And so I said, okay. All right. I'm going to do what every man would do. I'm going to go in the refrigerator, find some hot dogs. I'm going to throw it in that microwave. I'm going to hit one minute, because anything more than that is going to explode everywhere, or under that, it's going to be a little too cold. So one minute's perfect. Just, just that per, you know, throw it in there, kind of wait, get the bread ready. Kitchen's a little dark, I don't care, but I, I just go find bread, and I, uh, I get the ketchup mustard out, and as soon as that hot dog comes out, I just burn my fingers and throw it on there, and I lather it up. And I, you know, the animal that I am, I'm just chewing on this thing, I'm heading out to the car, I'm enjoying this hot dog, man, this is great hot dog. I get into that car, and my tongue says, wait a minute, this doesn't uh, feel quite right. And I'm like, what is that? It was fuzzy. 
I felt, it felt like a fuzzy little thing. It felt like I was eating a sweater, right? And I looked down, and I've, ate, I've eaten probably 83% of this hot dog. And I looked down, and it's as green as the Grinch, and it looks like there's like white snowball spots on it. It was the moldiest piece of bread I think I've ever eaten in my entire life. I don't know why I did it, but I decided to throw it out the window and said, I'm not eating it. I already ate most later that night. The tragedy is I did see that hot dog later that night. It was not a good time. Why am I sharing this with you? <laughs> because I was, <laughs> I was in such a rush that morning. I'm running through. I'm just, I don't care. I'm just running. I'm getting everything done. Then I skipped over some, something really, really important. Nate, you're eating poison, right? Like, that was a very important detail I missed, but because I was in such a rush, completely skipped over it. And when you read the Christmas story, Anna is very, very easy to skip over. She's just like a little blip on the screen. Like, boop, gone. I'm of the, convic- the conviction persuasion that God's word is 100% authoritative. It is his revelation to us. We need to submit to his word. And everything that is in there is intentional. There is nothing in there by mistake. When Luke was writing this story, he intentionally put Anna's story in there. He's a very detailed person, but he didn't capture all the details. And so he thought Anna to be worthy to be put in the scripture. All right, a lot of ancient passages of scripture, women just aren't mentioned as much. Just in ancient literature in general is highly male dominant. But what he ended up doing is inserting her story in there to consider calling your attention and the ancient reader to consider Anna. Now, what I love about Anna's story, it comes right after Simeon, right? So he gives his blessing. So he's there, and then she's there, and they're looking at the face of God, Jesus, right? Uh, Anna's father, Phanuel, his name is actually face of God, but um, I might get to that a little bit later. But they're right there staring at baby Jesus, both male and female, waiting for the full redemption of humanity, Right? And it's just a beautiful little story of just the anticipation coming um, right here for Christmas. And so there's three things that I want you to kind of consider this morning. Uh, The reality that um, there's going to be void in your life. The inevitability of void will hit your life. Number two, we have to respond to void. And number three, you need to fill void with joy. It's the only thing that's going to work. All right, so the first thing, the inevitability of void. Anna. When you read this small text, there's actually a lot going on here, and it doesn't look like it. You can just, again, very easy to read through it. But there's at least three reasons, three indicators from this text that says that she has faced tremendous amount of void or sense of emptiness, right? And so when does that happen to us? When some kind of tragedy, when some kind of pain or suffering hits us, it can leave you with a sense of void, where you just feel like your heart's not right, you're missing something, And there's three indications. The first one is her heritage. Where am I getting that from? Well, it says that she's in the tribe of Asher. Okay, you're not really going to, it's very um, unpopular in scripture to read that, right? But she's, again, one of those little details that Luke says, she's from the tribe of Asher. What is that all about? Well, years and takes her to BC, Assyria comes in and takes over the northern kingdom. Some point in her history, all tribes, right? And at some point in our history, right, they got, they kind of divided. They got divided over taxation, right, and so they split up. And so um, the 10 tribes stayed up in the north, and then you had Judah and Benjamin in the south, right? So you have the, the nation of Israel divided. So then you have Israel up top, Judah in the south. 
So Assyria comes in, takes them all over, 722 BC, and what do they do? They separated everybody. They, they deported a lot of Jews to the surrounding area. They wanted them to decentralize their religion, their culture, everything about them. They took the rich people, they took the artistic people, the lawyers, everybody. They took them out of the country. And they left some Jews there. And you know what they did to those Jews? They brought in a bunch of surrounding natives from the other countries and brought them in. Basically, they Hellenized everybody. They, they wanted to mix the culture and religious views. This is where the Samaritans come into play. Samaritans are half Jew, but they married into Gentiles, so they have, they're half-bloods. And that's why the, there's so much tension between the Jews and the Samaritans that you're going to see in the New Testament, right? And so in that process is tremendous amounts of pain. So out of this, that northern kingdom, when, when Syria came in and deported and messed everything up, they become known as the Ten Lost Tribes. We don't know exactly what happened to everybody. Now, they were tracing some of their lineage, and, you know, obviously, like, we know that Anna's from the tribe of Asher, so they were taking care of that, but a lot of them were lost. And in Jewish culture, like, the Messiah is coming through genealogy, right? So you track genealogy very closely. And so as she's reflecting on, you know, she's from the tribe of Asher, right? So she's thinking, oh, my goodness, my ancestors failed, because what does it say in Deuteronomy? It says that he's going to scatter them. If you don't listen to my word, if you don't obey me, you're, you're going to be dispersed. You're going to be, you know, you're, you're going to suffer big time. For Jeremiah, he's going to say, yeah, you didn't obey God's word. And if you read through Jeremiah, he's going to say, yeah, your heart is away from me. Your heart is far away from me. And this is, this is the punishment that happens. And so when she's reflecting back on her ancestors, man, my family's a failure. You know, there were some great spots, right? I mean, the, the tribe of Asher actually protected David during his coronation as king, but man, there's some pain in the family history. And now she's living under Roman oppression. Romans didn't treat their families well. And so she's literally living in a very uh, tense time in her life. And consider your life. Consider what's going on in the world right now. I mean, consider the fact, right, we have the whole Israel and the Gaza Strip conflict with Hamas and, you know, I was actually going to read a pretty gruesome article, what happened on October 7th. I'm not going to do that. My wife said, don't do it. It's too gruesome. There's kids in the thing. I said, okay, fine. I won't. The attacks that happen, let me tell you, there's a lot of people tremendously suffering. The attacks that happen are brutal. And there's a lot of family and pain over there. Just families in separations, family missing things, people that are confused. And that's even just around the world in general. There's pain and suffering all in the family dynamics right now. You know, as Americans, we don't really trace our, like, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but like as individual people in this culture, we have no problem kind of separating from our families. Go move here, go do your own thing. Back then, like your family was the center of everything. So if your family's not right, you're not right. If you make a mistake, you bring shame on your entire family. If your family screws up, everybody's in shame. And so, you know, this year's been a rough year for me. Like my family's chaotic. And, you know, you know the, the more I get older, the more I'm starting to see, like, things just weren't as, as I thought they were. And so I, I know that there's family tension that you have. We're going to have some Uncle Eddie's coming over for Christmas. You know, it's like, man, i got to buy, buy you, uh, you know, Roy dog food, and, you know, your dog's going to eat up everything, chew everything, you know. And maybe in the next reference, sorry. But, you know, we're going to have some weird family members that come in maybe in the next, you know, week or two. And, uh, you know, 
the, the, the family dynamics can just really struggle in the Christmas time because, man, sometimes I deal with soldiers and people and I've talked to them. There's a lot of people struggling with family members that have died, family members that aren't going to be at the Christmas table this morning. There was a soldier that was telling me, yeah, like, I lost my brother to suicide and I just don't know how to handle that. That's painful when you lose somebody. And, and all of us, to some degree, have that pain. We have family dysfunctions. We have people that pass away. We have problems. And so it, right here, uh, Anna suffers right through, through, through heritage, right? Uh, the second thing, and, and this is pretty obvious, but she was a widow, okay? So she, she got married probably around the age of 14, married for about seven, and then she was single for the rest of her life. But just, just the idea of being a widow, the reality of that, you are missing somebody that you love and care, care about. Now, I don't know all the details of her relationship with her husband. I don't know what that was like. But I did know that like, when you got married, there was a sense of security together. You're building a family together. You, you want to have the family structure. And you know, I'm sure they enjoyed holding hands and talking, having conversations. And when you lose somebody, it just leaves that gaping hole in your heart because you connect with that person. And so I know that there's widows here this morning. I know that there's probably going to be uh, widowers this morning. And it's a brutal reality, but man, like everybody in this room, there's at least a 50% chance everybody in this room will be a widow or widower someday, unless it's a tragic accident and both parents die or both individuals die, the, uh, the, the whole couple dies. Um, being a widow and widower is something that's a very realistic possibility for you. And it's just, it, it's, I don't know who's going to die first. And it's just, it's just a very painful reparation of just death. Death is coming for us. Family separation is coming for us. Wow, Merry Christmas. You guys feeling really good this morning? You guys are like, goodness gracious, this is dark for Christmas. But Christmas is dark. It just is. There's a lot of pain that, that is associated with it. And um, a lot of people feeling blue. But, you know, relationships are important. We're relational beings. And when we lose that, it hurts. It hurts to the core. And then the third thing, the third part of the scripture that really gives us an indication that she experienced tremendous void in her life. Now don't, you know, don't, don't laugh at me or anything, but it's because she's old. Now, the reason why I say that is because the older you are, the more pain you've seen in life. The more relationships that you've had that, that, that didn't pan out, that people betrayed you, the more times you've had financial failures, the more, more, more times your family has let you down. Because the older you get, generally speaking, the more you see people let you down. There's a lot of experience in this room. There's a lot of age in this room. And there's also a lot of experiences that I, I don't know and don't have. But you have a lot of valuable insights into what it is to, to suffer and experience pain. And she was old either between 84 and 105, depending on how you read the text, but she had some age to her. And that is why, for example, that is really, really why the, the younger generation needs you. We need your experience. We need your insights. We need your wisdom because you've been through it. See, our culture likes to dismiss older people. That's not a good thing. You know, if you go to Japan, Japan, they love old people. It's great. In this culture, they loved older people. But the reality is we as younger generation need the older generation tremendously and you know as you get older you know things start aching a little bit more you know you get out of bed in the morning and you 
Your knee just doesn't feel right today. Or, you know, you're just feeling sick. You're not feeling as strong or as energetic. It's just a reminder that death is coming. It's coming. All right. So the reality of avoiding our life is, is just there. It's going to happen to us. We can't avoid it. So the question is, my sec- to my second point, how are we going to respond to it? Because here's the thing. Everybody has to respond to some kind of pain and suffering. You can't just, like, get hit with it and then just be like, oh, no big deal. I'm just going to keep rolling with my life. If something meaningful happens to you or something that, that, that hurts you in such a, a way that rocks you, you don't just go, eh, not a big deal. I'm going to keep going with my life. Otherwise, you'd be totally unrelatable. But that's, that's, uh, that's not likely. So how do we respond to void? Well, there's two things that, that we do. We either do, deal with void in a healthy way or an unhealthy way. There's really like two basic options. So an unhealthy way of dealing with void in our lives is um, filling our hole with something that's just going to let you down. That gives you temporary happiness, but ultimately is going to let you down. So that can be like Netflix or something. You find a TV show that you really like, and you start binge-watching that thing. You start watching like, you know, 10 episodes in a row. You know, you just kind of completely check out. So you can just plug that hole with your favorite TV show. You can use finances. If you have wealth, you can sit there and say, you know, I'm just going to go on a shopping spree. I'm going to go buy what I want. Or you can be like Mr. Scrooge and just count your money, and it makes you really happy, right? And you try putting your, your wealth in that hole to think really good about yourself in the midst of the pain. You can go to drugs or alcohol, right? You could, you could do any of those substances to distract your mind and to just kind of fill that hole that you have. There's all kinds of things. I don't know what is something that draws you in. It could be um, traveling, vacations. could be whatever you can to try to put something in that hole. But the reality is, whatever we put in there is ultimately going to fail us. Because when you wake up in the morning, your problems are still going to be there. You know, and people respond to these pain and sufferings by having self-loathing issues. They don't like themselves. And so a lot has to do with what you tell yourself in the midst of pain and suffering. Right? You can beat yourself up or you can say, okay, God's got a bigger plan for this. I've got to figure this out. I have to get in community with people. But the unhealthy way is to just plug it with something that just makes you feel happy and better right now. So there's a, there's a person, I read an article, and um, this is, she's like a life business coach. Her name is Stephanie Zamora. She goes like this, the only way to be happy and healthy and whole is to face and deal with the voids that you carry in your heart and soul. If something is missing, Broken or empty inside of you, there is no person or thing that will fill it. Only you can heal yourself from the voids. Now, this is like, this is, this is our culture talking to you right now, okay? If you have pain and suffering, you have void in your life, what do you do? You have to figure out what, what you have to do. No, nothing else in the world can make you feel better. You have to define what that is. What's wrong with that? Well, I don't really know what's good for me, especially in the midst of suffering. We do all kinds of destruction, you know, destructive habits. Every five years, we radically change our minds and all kinds of things. So that's completely unstable with how we cope with things. But the reality is the heart will betray you all the time. If I just followed my heart, that would be a very dangerous world. If everybody just said, okay, well, this is what I want to do today, and you would destroy a lot of relationships. 
When your family member comes home, when they said, I don't know, and say, you know what feels good for me is to yell this year. Man, you just want to smack them over the head and say, you know what feels good for me is to yell at you in the face because you said you didn't want me to come home for Christmas. Or why did you move away from me for Christmas? Why did you move thousands of miles away from us? And you could just let your heart just vent and just destroy relationships. Absolutely, anger. You could, you could say, okay, well, you know what makes me really happy? Anger, and I'm just going to just blow up the world. Sure. But that's what our society tells you. Our society is going to sit there and tell you, just do whatever your heart says. Who cares about the community around you? Who cares about your family? Just do what you want. That's dangerous. So how did, uh, how did Anna do with it? How did, how did she deal with it? Well, she went to the temple. She fasted. She prayed. She was in the community of other believers. She was hanging on to the very promises of God. She let God fill her void. That was the key. She invited God into her life in the midst of all these problems. She would have been extremely tempted to go find another man. Because see, one of the destructive habits, and I've seen it happen play out, is if you have a divorce, you have an issue, if you have a problem in life, just go find a relationship. Just go connect. Just go ahead and go, go do what you want, as Zamora would tell you to do. Anna would have had tremendous amount of pressure from her family and from the Roman government to actually get married. Because in, in the family setting, you are considered a valuable woman if you can produce children. Because children produce, produces security, produces wealth, they can do the work for you. Children bearing was considered to be a huge honor. In the text, you know, I, I would say she's probably not a mother, right? I can't 100% guarantee that, but more than likely she did not have any children. And so for her, she would have been tempted just to get married to build that family lifestyle back within. A faith community saying, hey, listen, her, her family and friends or faith could have said, hey, listen, Anna, you should get married. Go find another man. You have every right to go do it. Go build a family. She goes, no, I'm going to go seek God. The Roman Empire, one of their mandates was for widows to get married within two years after losing a husband. Why do you think that is? social security system. They didn't want a bunch of poor ladies running around everywhere. They wanted them to be associated with family so that their own family can take care of them. The thing is, which is what's really interesting is Anna chose to be single. And in the New Testament, you're going to see why, the, why Paul cares about taking care of widows. Why? He doesn't want them to fill the void with just running to another relationship. That's why the church should be taking care of widows and widowers in, in, in a large degree, Right? And it kind of reminds me of the story in 1 Samuel with Hannah. So Hannah, remember, she wanted a child, wasn't getting one. And, and, and there's a place in Scripture that I'm going to read for you, back in 1 Samuel chapter 1. So Hannah's facing these trials, right? And her husband says, well, why is your heart sad? Am I not more than ten men, or I'm, I'm sorry, are you, am I not more to you than ten sons? Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli, her husband, took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before 
the Lord. Do not regard your servant my great anxiety. For all along, I have been speaking out my great anxiety and vexation. What's the point? The point is that Hannah cared about God. Hannah was saying, God, you fill my void. I'm going to you. When Eli says, am I not more to you than 10 sons? What is Eli actually saying? Am I not your most important thing in life? If you had 10 sons, you are abundantly rich. And Eli says, you're not satisfied with me? I'm more than 10 sons. And it says, no, the Lord. I'm pouring myself out before the Lord. I'm going to focus on scripture. I'm going, to, I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek his face. I'm going to struggle with God. And so a healthy way to deal with void in our lives is to not fill it with relationships or other things that are good things. All these things I mentioned, well, minus the drugs, could be good things or some other things. But let God be the center of the problem. Let him be the first thing you run to, not these other things, because those other things can turn into idols. And so if we as a church, if we as families constantly pressure people, you have to get married, you have to get married, you have to get married, you need to go find this relationship, they're going to find themselves in unhealthy situations. Not everybody is ready to be in a relationship. Some people have misallocated attractions, right? Some people have a season of life where they're just not mentally stable and they're kind of just really struggling and so they don't need to be in a relationship with somebody. Not everybody is healthy enough to pursue relationships. So how do you live in singleness? You always fill everything with the presence of God. That's the point. God needs to be the foundation, the centerpiece to your whole. So when you do get hit, you know exactly where you need to church, exactly where you need to run. It's God's word. It's God's community, the church, right? Remember, Anna went to the temple. Well, there was people there to encourage her. Ladies, are we going to be an encouraging church for those who are hurt and broken? Lastly, she filled the void with joy. Now, what does that mean? Well, Anna, at the very end of the passage, it says, uh, she began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all of those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Listen, for her, the wait was over. The promise has been fulfilled. She's looking at the face of Jesus. She's finally saying, God, you have delivered what you have been promising for eons. He's finally here. The Messiah is right here. She was able to witness God working. And guess what? Most of her life, she probably was feeling like, man, God, where are you? I can't hear you. I can't see you. I can't, I can't figure this whole thing out. And then all of a sudden, God delivers. All the prayers, all the fasting, all the, everything that she was doing, soaking in God's word, it all culminated to this point where she's looking at the Messiah. You've delivered him. And it was absolutely amazing. And so she was able to rest. She was seeing God work through the, through the promises. She held on to those promises, she clung to them, and then she saw it being fulfilled. Most Americans believe in a spiritual being, right? I believe in God. God's great. Or I don't know who God is, but God's there. See, the American culture have no idea who they're praying to. They have no clue. They can't face, you can't just stuff God into your void. You know what I mean? Because people believe in different gods. You can't just go, okay, God, you're great. I'm just going to pray to you. Who are you praying to? Who are you seeking? See, Anna knew exactly who God was. God has been providing for Israel for years. He, she has seen God working through history. 
And she never lost hope. She, she remained in the promises. She, she focused on passages like Micah 5 too. She understands who Jesus was through the text. She was fully equipped to say, you know what, God? I'm going to fill it with you. She had no idea, probably, how Jesus was going to accomplish what he was going to accomplish. But we do. We've seen it happen. We've seen Jesus work, right? Jesus faced the void. Jesus faced pain and suffering. He literally identified with us. In, in Hebrews, right, chapter 4, he identifies with us because he's experienced all the stuff that we go through. The God of the universe faced the void himself. He went through it for you. He says, I find you valuable. You having pain and suffering, I know it's difficult, but I find you valuable. And I'm going to experience those things with you. And you know what was really cool? People are like really excited to hear about this stuff. I mean, people are going by the temple. Anna's there. And what is she doing? What does the text say? Um, And she continued to speak of him to all those who were seeking redemption of Jerusalem. Guess what? Jesus is here. Oh, you guys, are, you guys are feeling hopeless right now, the Roman Empire, and you feel like you're a, a, a dispersed nation? Guess what? We have the Messiah right here. He's here. God delivered him. He's a gift. It's Christmas. People are searching. People have void in their hearts. They're looking for answers. People are so hungry and thirsty because they don't know where to turn. Mental health is crazy right now because people don't know who they're praying to. They don't know how to face the problems of life. Man, there's a tragedy happen. I had a, you know, someone die in my life recently. How do, they, how do they deal with it? They have no idea. They're going to be trying to fill those voids with whatever they can. And it's always going to fail them. And as a church, we can say, I know one who can really fill it. You're looking for joy? You're looking for that perfect peace that although your whole life looks like this, The beauty and joy of Jesus right here is always stable and something you can always rely on. That's the true joy. My God can give you that. It's the most beautiful thing. So this Christmas, focus on that. You know, focus on the joy of Christmas. Focus on the joy of Jesus. If if you're a young person, go ask some older people, hey, I'm struggling here. Have you experienced something similar to this? Find an older, an older saint. Talk to them. Deal with them. Be in community with one another. Don't discount anybody for their age. An older person, don't get mad at the younger generation because they're weird and goofy. Yeah? Just be like, hey, listen. This is, <laughs> here's some wisdom, right? Pass on your joy of the Lord to other people, Christians and non-Christians. Love Jesus. Enjoy, enjoy the season. Over the next week, Meditate on Luke chapter 2. It's great. To see the beauty of Jesus. He loves you very much this Christmas. Find that this morning. Just know that you are valued no matter what you're going through. You understand that? Jesus really does love you. Don't sit there and say, Jesus, you, I have this pain in my life. You must not love me. Don't, don't ever say that. You might not understand it, but at least he's walking with you. That's what he promises to do. And you will find that joy and rest and peace in your life. Jesus, we love you.
thank you for your son. Thank you for sending yourself. Thank you for just embracing this crazy world, the reality of it. Knowing that there's a void, there's a darkness, you came through it to say, I'm going to deliver you out of it. I'm going to fill the problem. I'm going to fill your heart to where you can really enjoy life. And that is having peace and relationship with me. Love you, Jesus. We pray for this church. Pray for all the hearts this morning that are struggling. And maybe just like a little bit more sad this Christmas. Lord, I just pray that they can find joy in you. And I pray for those who are equipped to be able to talk to them and encourage those people this morning. That they can find them out and just give a word of encouragement. And show, show love in a way that the, the body was meant to be. So we just love you and thank you. In your name, amen.